First uh, Thessalonians 5 is where we're at this morning. And we're in a portion of Scripture that there's just some, uh, like Paul tends to do towards the end of one of his uh, letters, just sort of give a bunch of same things that seem to be unrelated, uh, just little one-line commands. And uh, this is a portion where if you want to learn, uh, memorize several Scriptures, several verses, if you would, in one sitting, this would be a good one to do because you have some of the shortest verses in the whole Bible right here. And um, um, so we looked at last time, a couple weeks back, uh, some practical commands for the Christian life. And uh, this morning, we're going to look at some spiritual commands for the Christian life. Uh, some practical ones that we laid out, we saw uh, uh, the idea of, uh, of being benevolent towards others, render no, no man evil for evil, um, um, uh, be at peace among yourselves. Uh, we ought to be joyful, continually joyful as believers, rejoice evermore. We ought to be uh, continuing in prayer, uh, pray without ceasing. We ought to be always thankful in everything, in every situation, every circumstance, being thankful, for that's the will of God. And this morning we're going to find ourselves in just a few short verses, verse 19 through 22, and, um, and pray they'll be a help to us this morning. Uh, I'll go ahead and just read them, and then we'll have a word of prayer. Uh, verse, uh, verse number 19 says this, Quench not the Spirit, despise not prophesyings. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. And let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I do ask that you help us. Uh, though these passages are short and, uh, and really have minimal commentary, Lord, I pray that we would get from them the full impact that, uh, that your Spirit would have us to get as we uh, look to this and look to some other scriptures. Please guide and direct my thoughts uh, and all of our thoughts, really. May our attention be towards your word. And um, may everything that is said be pleasing to you, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Starts off in verse number 19, as we're talking about, really, there's two basic spiritual commands here that every one of us as believers really need to take heed to, really need to look at if we're going to grow in the Christian life, if we're going to succeed, really, in the Christian life, if, if our children and our grandchildren are going to, we're going to be able to pass on these kinds of things. This, these are some things we must get a hold of. And that first one there is quench not the spirit. Quench not the spirit. What does that mean? The word there, quench, carries the idea of to like extinguish, like a fire, like to smother out a fire. And uh, many times the, the spirit is referred to as somewhat of a fire. And, uh, and, and of course, as he's moving, I know the Pentecostals love to run with that. If you ever come across a Pentecostal church and it's Spanish, I guarantee you part of their name will have the word fuego in it. That's Spanish for fire. Fuego. They just love that, right? Holy Ghost fire. And, uh, but, but in a real sense, there's that burning of the Holy Spirit within us. And here's what Paul is saying. He says, don't smother that out. Don't be a wet blanket on the Spirit. Don't do something in a way that would cause the Spirit to not work in our lives. And, and we have to ask ourselves this question. What does it mean to not quench the Spirit? I think sometimes we really uh, assign a lot of things to that statement that don't necessarily belong there. To understand how to quench not, or what it means to not quench the Spirit, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? What is the ministry of the Spirit? What is His job in our lives? I think back to uh, the very first introduction uh, of, the, of the Holy Spirit's work in the believer's life really is John, uh, the, the, the Gospel of John. Uh, John 14 through 16, as Jesus keeps referencing this Holy Spirit. And he says, you know, it's expedient that I go away. If I go not away, then the comforter will not come to you. 
And so the first thing we see a title that's attributed to him as Comforter with a capital C. Comforter, what is his job? His job is to comfort us. His job, you know much of the Christian life, God is calling us to go in a direction that we're afraid to go. In a direction that is very uncomfortable for us. Uh, uh, and by the way, uh, I'm reminded of, uh, of Paul's uh, letter to Timothy when he says, uh, God has not given to us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so many times in the Christian life, God, uh, or the devil rather, will use fear to try to get us away from God's will, to give us, get us to go a different direction. And so, so sometimes this unreasonable fear may overwhelm. You know, well, what would people say? What would people think? What, how will that turn out? It'll just be a disaster, all these thoughts. But let me just tell you, many times, here's just a good rule of thumb, God wants us to go in the direction of our fear. And he's given us uh, uh, the, the paraclete, the comforter, the, the, the Holy Spirit is going to come alongside and give us the strength, empower us to go in the direction of that fear. If we take the easy road, if we, if we take the road that is, uh, that is uh, uh, you know, easy street, I'm not going to take any risks, I'm not going to take any challenge, yeah, it may be easier, but let me just tell you, the Holy Spirit is going to be bored in your life. You're taking away his job. His job is to comfort us. And what need is there for comfort if we are comfortable? You see, if, you have, if you're completely content, if you're completely comfortable, there's no need for someone else to come along and say, they're there, and to comfort you. And so, so he's given to us to strengthen us, to empower us. Think about the things those early disciples had to endure for the Lord's sake, for the gospel's sake. If there was no Holy Spirit, could you, do you think Paul for a second would be able to say some of the things that he said? I take pleasure in persecutions. How is that possible? Well, there's a comforter that's assigned to him. There's an encourager. There's a helper. Jesus goes on to talk about how he is going to guide them into all truth. Now, the context, he was speaking specifically to the disciples, and that truth he was going to guide them to was, the, was really the inspiration of the Scriptures. He was going to bring all things to memory so they can write it down. And he was going to uh, guide them to truth so they can unpack it and un un uh, unveil it. But let me ask you this question. Is that not still the, the, the job of the Holy Spirit to guide us to truth? Is that not his job? Of course. He's the great illuminator. He helps us to, 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 to know and understand the Scriptures. The Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians that, that we compare spiritual to spiritual, and, 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 and it takes that Holy Spirit, the understanding of the Holy Spirit. The lost person cannot understand and cannot receive the Word of God. Why? Uh, they're, they're not, they're, it, says, it says it's foolishness to them. They're, they're spiritually discerned. They don't understand these things. And a big part of that is they don't have the, the Holy Spirit in them to help to guide them and to show them. You understand, we have a wonderful privilege. We have this eternal, living Word of God, and we have access to the author. It's not just some, you know, this mysterious book that's passed down that nobody really knows what it says. And, and by the way, I think a lot of people treat it like this. Like nobody really understands and knows what it says. So it's kind of kind of what it means to you and what it speaks, how it speaks to you. And so we're all just kind of, you know, it's, it's really this mystical kind of a book. No, no, no. It's a very practical, literal, real book. And we have an author that we have access to that we can, we can pray like the psalmist prayed. Open thou mine eyes and behold wondrous things out of thy law. We can come before it and say, say God, will you help me to understand? Will you reveal these things to me? Will you show me your word? Teach me. These are some of the jobs of the Holy Spirit. 
I think about the job of the Holy Spirit that Jesus unpacked, that he said this. His, you know, and he comes, here's what he's going to do with the world. He's going to reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Now what's interesting is what Jesus says next. Of sin, because they believe not on him whom he hath sent. Did you know the part of the Holy Spirit's job is to reprove the lost person of his sin and need for a Savior? How does that happen? That happens when the gospel is proclaimed. That's when the gospel is proclaimed. Paul gave, said much about the necessity of the gospel. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. And the reality is if the gospel is not preached, there's no truth for the Holy Spirit to grab a hold of to bring the conviction to a lost person's heart so that they might be saved. So when we start looking at all these jobs of the Spirit, we have to ask ourselves, how can I quench the Spirit? I think the first thing, the first thing we can understand about quenching the Spirit is this. Based on his job, we can quench him by robbing him of his ministry. When we do not obey God, when we do not go in those uncomfortable directions, what are we doing? We're quenching the Spirit. When we do not preach the gospel to others, giving him the opportunity to convict their heart with the truth, we are quenching the Spirit. Think about the light of the, of the gospel in this dark and dying world. You ever ask yourself the question, why has Christ not come yet? Peter answers that question. When the scoffers would say, where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise of these things? Peter said, uh, said this in his epistle. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness. But is long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, God is holding back his wrath, and God is holding back the end days, and all the stuff that Jesus prophesied about and talked about, what is the sign of thy coming in the end of the world? And he talks about all these terrible things that would come, and he's unpacking the great tribulation, the day of the Lord, as prophesied by the Old Testament saints, uh, prophets. And, uh, and what's keeping that back and what's holding that back? The light of the gospel, when that light goes out, when people stop sharing, when people have so quenched the Spirit in this world, then what's left to do but Christ to just come? Now, to us who are saved, wonderful. But I'm reminded of Ezekiel when he talked about the watchmen. And if the watchmen do not warn the people, and their blood is on his hands. God's put us here in such, for such a time as this. God has put us in this world right now as we are, uh, and, and, and he's using us to share the gospel. Did you know he did not just assign the spread of the gospel to the Holy Spirit? I had Holy Spirit just go and start giving people dreams and visions and all these things, and they'll figure it out on their own. He didn't assign it to angels. Go and write it in the sky. He didn't do all that. He gave it to you and to me, uh, the Great Commission, to go and preach the gospel to every creature. And so part of the, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict, the, uh, to reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, to, to be saved. I think of some very practical aspects of the Holy Spirit. Look with me, if you would. We'll hold your place here, but look over to Ephesians uh, 4 real quick. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, and look at verse number 20. Very similar phrase Paul uses here. 
I'm not sorry, not 20, verse 30. Paul says this, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby, by the Holy Spirit, you are sealed until the day of redemption. By the way, praise the Lord for that. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit, you are sealed until the day of redemption. Right there, that verse is right in the midst of, I believe, a section of how we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And I'd say that's a very near thing to quenching the Spirit. Put Like you're extinguishing a fire, you're, you're shutting him out. Let's back up just a little bit to verse number 20. Prior to verse number 20, it talks about um, living in their, un, in their ignorance, their, the, the, the darkened heart is alienated from God, and uh, basically who we are before Christ. But look at verse number 20. But you have not so learned Christ, if so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So those who have been saved have learned Christ. They've been taught by him through the word of God and, uh, and knowing that the truth is in Christ, verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deeds, uh, excuse me, according to the deceitful lust. Listen, as a believer, you and I must come to this conclusion that the old nature, the, the natural nature of you and I, is at war with God. It's at odds with God. And you know what we've done in this world? We've so blurred the lines and we say, you know what? We can just sort of reform ourselves. We can be a a Christian lost person. You say, that doesn't make any sense. That's almost kind of how we unpack it. You know what? Okay, forget about, you know, reflecting Christ and the new man and the new nature. Let's just kind of start, just, let's just do better. Let's just improve. No, 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 there, there, there's, this, there's this, this huge dichotomy. There's a, there's, there are odds with one another, right? This is who you were. This is who you are. Here's the old man. Here's the new man. And they really are at war with each other. There are odds with one another. And so we have to come to this conclusion that we must put off the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. The corruption is in our desires, in the deceitful lust. Verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So there's renewal in the thought process. Verse 24, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away, lying, speaking, speak every man truth to his neighbor. So in the one hand, what, here's what the flesh would say, lie. On the flip side, we say we must put away lying and in its place, speak truth to your neighbor. By the way, it's an interesting concept in Ephesians and Colossians, this idea of put off, put on. If you struggle with lying, you can't just stop lying. You have to start intentionally speaking the truth. Some people, by the way, become perpetual liars, habitual liars, and they'll lie about nothing. Like, like they just feel like they have to lie. They have to come up with a story. They have to tell something. And, uh, and, and here's what you do. I've actually I've counseled people with this. Start looking for truth to just say. You say, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it does. You're replacing it. Start just being super truthful about everything. Anything, you know, uh, well, there's nothing needs to be said. Then just say something truthful anyway. Find something true to say. Why? Because you have a problem. You keep lying about nothingness. So how do we overcome it? We must speak the truth. So we put off the old man, put on the new man, and what are we doing? We're countering it. For we are members of one another. Talking about tonight speaking truth to your neighbor. Verse 26. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. By the way, that's a whole sentence, those two verses. So in other words, that when I'm when my anger is is improper, when I've given place to wrath, if you would, uh, I open the door for the devil. That's interesting. Verse 28. 
let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor. How do you how do you overcome somebody who, who who's given over to stealing? By the way, that's also the thing that becomes an addiction. Maybe it starts with petty theft. And and I, I've 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 seen people, I've I've heard of people that that they have this just need to just steal little things from stores and whatnot, and just they're always just like stealing stuff. So he says, how do you overcome that? Get a job and start working, and then and then you give away your money. Okay, it says work with your own hands. Uh, that which is good, that he may give to him that needeth. So how do you overcome stealing? You start being incredibly benevolent. You start donating. You start giving money to others that have needs. Verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Corrupt communication. Listen, um, we we struggle with this. Many times as believers, corrupt communication starts to become, that becomes habitual as well. You would say, what, what's so corrupt about the way I'm communicating? How about the constant sarcastic attitude? How about the constant uh, uh, biting and, and tearing down? And, you know, well, it's all in jest. It's just playful. You know, what starts off as playful can become a character. It can become a character trait. And by the way, even as a church, it's something we have to guard. Listen, when guys get together, that's just what we do, right? We just kind of, you know, we're always at each other and teasing and playing and all that kind of stuff. You know, that can start to become sort of a, an atmosphere. I can tell you right now of a church that that's kind of the culture of that whole church. It's just very sarcastic and just it starts to wear on you. And, and we ought to guard ourselves, right? So it says this, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, uh, except here's, here, here, or, or, or here's, here's what we should do, but that which is good to the use of edifying, the building up, the, the, the encouragement and instruction, the building up. Why? That may minister grace to the hearers. Think about this. If you as a parent in your home Hear your children tearing each other down, just 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 coming coming down with very negative, very hurtful things that are being said. What does that do to you as a parent? Does that make you want to you know take him out to a nice dinner, maybe buy him something? No, it so grieves you, it so burdens you. It's you know those are the times you got to sit down and say, guys, we need a reset here. We need to stop what we're saying and our talk. There's 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 this this attitude in the home. Imagine what it does to the heart of God when He sees His children doing that with one another. This corrupt communication coming out and this this tearing down and this antagonism and this sarcasm and all these things that come from it. So 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 it's the same. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of, the, of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying may minister grace to the hearers and grieve and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. So, so that and attaching to it is saying, listen, these kinds of things, what are they going to do? They're grieving God. By the way, the Holy Spirit, as we're talking about uh, quench not the Spirit, the Spirit of God is not an it. It's not some mystical force. By the way, you don't catch the Holy Spirit. Okay? The Holy Spirit's a person. Not like you and I, but He's the third person of the Trinity, of the Godhead. He's the part that God had given to us to dwell in us. What a wonderful truth that is, by the way. Where He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But think about this. When you quench the Spirit, you are quenching God. When you're grieving the Spirit, you are grieving God. Remember when... Um, Remember when David was confronted by Nathan about his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah? Here's what God said through Nathan the prophet. He said, Do you, basically, why have you despised me? 
Why do you hate me, David? Can you imagine God asking you that question? Of course, our response would be, I don't hate you, Lord. Your actions have shown it. He gives this list, and right in the middle of it, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. And if you need a reason to not grieve Him, He's the one who has sealed you to the day of redemption. In fact, well, I believe what it's saying is, our gratitude for our salvation should drive us to want to please Him versus grieve Him. Do you love me? If you love me, what did Jesus say? Keep my commandments. How, 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 how can you say you love him if you don't do the things he says? That's what God was basically saying to David. Then it goes on. Let's take it even deeper. From outward action to an inward spirit, if you would. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Again, what if that was going on in your home? How would you feel if there was evil speaking and clamor and, uh, and malice, all, all this stuff happening in your home? You'd say, man, something's got to change here. And yet we allow these things into our life. And what does that do to the heart of God? And then it goes on, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ has forgiven you. And let me just say this. I believe on the one side, as these things may grieve the heart of God and, uh, and quench the Spirit of God, uh, on the flip side, I, I believe we're never more pleasing to God than when we're forgiving one another, when we're loving one another, when we are putting away bitterness, when we're being tenderhearted, being kind one to another. Think about that. So there's some very practical things that God gives us. We can turn back to 1 Thessalonians 5, whereby he says, we can quench not the Spirit, by simply obeying God, by simply following His word. Now, now, how do we, where do we find, if you would, the instruction to follow the Spirit? Again, as soon as we start talking about the Spirit, we start talking about uh, uh, pneumatology, so quickly it gets all mystical with a lot of people. And that's quite frankly why Baptists don't like it, because we like practical. We like, you know, uh, uh, let's just kind of keep things real. Let's not get mystical. Let's not get uh, uh, symbolic, really, with Scripture. You know, the Bible's literal and should be taken literally and all that stuff. And, uh, and so what we do is we tend to avoid getting into any of that stuff because, well, what is, uh, what is the Greek word for the Spirit, uh, the pneumatos? Uh, uh, it's where we get uh, pneumatics. What does it mean? Breath. The Holy Breath is really what Holy Spirit, <laughs> that's the translation. And so you say, it's just breath. It's, how do I define that? How do I say breath is a person? And so it kind of gets weird. And so, so we look at this, and here's, here's how some people take it. If, if, if you're not guided by the Scriptures and you start talking about the Holy Spirit, uh, what do you have left with? Well, it's this force that's sort of moving within me, and, and, uh, and, and, and it leads to this, this idea, this thinking that, that have led many astray that, well, if the Holy Spirit's in me and it's that mystical force of God, it, then, then now I can have divine revelation. Or now I can, uh, as He leads me, I can't question the Spirit. So if I fall on the ground and start flopping around like I'm having a seizure, that must be the Holy Spirit of God. If I start barking like a dog, that must be the Holy Spirit of God. If I have uncontrollable laughter in church, guess what? It must be the Spirit of God. And we have this weird idea, hey, never question the Spirit. Wait a minute, the Bible says that we should try the Spirit. We should test the Spirit. How do we do that? 
Well, we do that by the Word of God, which leads us to verse number 20. So the first command, quench not the Spirit, the spiritual command. Second command is this, despise not prophesying. Despise not prophesying. Now, before we get into this, we must define what is prophesying. What are prophesying? And uh, yeah, really what it is, is you have a couple ideas when you look at the word prophecy or prophesying in Scripture. You have the foretelling of truth, and then you have forthtelling of truth. Foretelling is the divine revelation. It's, it's many times when people even predict the future. Uh, by the way, did you know most prophecy, most prophets in the Bible didn't actually predict the future? Most of what was prophesied was actually very real to the point of that day. And then it would be sometimes an unusual thing that says, oh, and then the day of the Lord. Oh, something to look forward to. Oh, uh, uh, you know, Messiah. You know, those kinds of things would be ahead. But much of what they were doing was simply speaking on God's behalf. Thus saith the Lord. You know, you have, you've you know many times very negative, right? You have not done right before God. <laughs> Thus saith the Lord. And you, they would give those statements inspired of God to declare, to deliver those things. Now, the day and age we live in, we, uh, we might use this statement. The canon of scriptures is closed. What are we saying? There's no new revelation. Everything that God wants us to have um, inscripturated for us has been given already. And so there's no new revelation, there's no new prophecy in that sense. So the second definition of it is forth-telling. Uh, I'm speaking forth the Word of God. I am taking what God has already said, and I'm expounding upon it. Okay. Now let me just say this. Not everything that someone takes from the Bible and says outward to you is necessarily properly prophesied. That's why we must be so careful with this. But what is it? So prophesying is this. It's uh, declaring Scripture accurately. Declaring Scripture accurately. It, it must be tested, by the way. It must be tried. So when it says despise not prophesying, so, so prophesying is speaking forth the Word of God, uh, declaring it, uh, bringing it to light, expounding upon it. Let's look at the word despise not. The word despise carries the idea of to have a very little regard for. To have very low regard, despise, even to the degree of hate. Like when God said to David, do you despise me? Despise it, have a very light regard for it. And sadly, you know in a lot of churches, the lowest regard of all the things in a, in a church service is the preaching time. If you were to rate everything, oh, we had such wonderful worship. The worship went on for 50 minutes. And oh, the Spirit was moving. And the lights and did everything, which is oh, and we have very high regard for that. And then oh, then the the preacher got up for ten minutes and you know, trying to stay awake. I remember I was in Iraq and um, um, I was preaching the gospel in Iraq and I got threatened with a court martial by a Catholic chaplain for preaching the gospel without a license. I thought, boy, I'm in good company. I think that was John Bunyan's accusation as well. And uh, and he was telling me he's like, you know, part of my job as a chaplain is to make sure all the spiritual needs of, of the service members are met. And they said, what kind of a church service are you looking for? And I said, you know, I was like, well, how do I describe this to him? I said, I said, are there any real conservative church services? Are there any guys that use the King James Bible? And I'm just kind of throwing some things out there. And, and then uh, his chaplain assistant says, hey, I think Chaplain so-and-so uses the King James Bible. And I was like, okay, I'll start there. And it turns out there were two chaplains that would kind of alternate week by week. 
And uh, this guy came from a very conservative Baptist church, this chaplain. He was a pastor, a reservist, and he was just deployed with us. And uh, it was interesting, though, is they didn't really have any part of the service part of it. And so there was there was a praise band, and there was all this other stuff going on. And I'm looking around, and I'm sitting here, and you know, I'm, I'm listening to the music and, and things. And, uh, and people are getting into it, man. People are standing up, they're crying, and they're raising their hands, and super emotional. What was interesting was when this guy got up, I'm telling you, and he was a good preacher, uh, sound, solid Bible preaching, a gospel message in the sermon. I mean, it was solid. And I'm looking around, and what am I seeing? People were asleep. I, I mean, like the, people were fighting sleep. And it was, I mean, it wasn't like a boring preacher. It was, it was a good sermon. And I'm amening, and I'm you know, trying to encourage the guy. I'm looking around, everyone's sleeping. I'm like, what is going on here? You know what I discovered? They have a very high regard for one thing and a very low regard for another thing. Can I ask you, what is the purpose of preaching? Spread the word, okay. What else is preaching for? Edification, okay. In fact, let's turn back to Ephesians 4 again. That's a good place to go. I didn't know I was going to go here again, so I would have told you to hold your place. I'm sorry. But look at Ephesians 4, and uh, let's look at verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting or maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. To we come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. That would, that would be um, this metaphorical man of Christ, this collective, if you would, all of us coming together into a perfect man, into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Meaning that the, the purpose of this is going to establish you in your doctrine. You're not going to go this way or that way. You're going to be in sound in doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may, here's the key, grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body, get this now, into the edifying of itself in love. The Bible tells in 1 Corinthians that it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them which believe. So preaching, preaching the gospel, declaring uh, uh, the gospel of Christ is God's vehicle for getting us saved, but it's also God's vehicle for edifying us. Folks, it's spiritual work. Now let me ask you this. Do we have that attached to any other activity we may do in church? Hey, does the Bible talk about sacrificially giving in church? Absolutely it does. But does it say that you will give your way to perfection? No. Does the Bible speak about worship with music and song? Absolutely. But does the Bible say that we are going to grow in spiritual perfection by our music? No. But the Bible does say handling the Word of God will grow you to spiritual perfection. What I mean by perfection is the Bible word that is completion, maturity. Folks, it's spiritual work. If it is spiritual work, then would not the preaching time of a service be the most important time of the service if God's purpose for us is to grow more like Jesus Christ? I would say so. And so 